the dark side. I'm not a baby, I'm a man. I am an anchor man. Is this a kissing book? The way I see it, if you're going to build a time machine into a car, why not do it with some style? Hello and welcome to episode 2 of series 2 of Just Like in the Movies, bit of a mouthful there, brought to you by gkmedia.ie, providing digital content and marketing solutions for SMEs throughout Ireland and the UK, and they're just simply amazing. Anyways, moving on, we explore what is happening in the Irish film industry and beyond. I'm your host, Gary Kelly, and joined this week, as always, by the fabulous Lisa Tracy. Why, thank you. And the fabulous... Dave Coyne. Thank you. Thank I was you. trying to think of the male version for fabulous. We'll, we'll work on that. Okay. Men can be fabulous. This week on the show, we are looking at the documentary Katie, and we're also looking at the Christmas movie that a lot of young people and probably adults as well are quite excited about The Grinch with Benedict Cumberbatch. And later on in the podcast as well, I'll be speaking to Irish television and film producer Rebecca O'Flanagan, getting her insights on the industry at the moment. She's also just after wrapping up Finding Joy, which did very well there on Irish television. But first up, let's take a look at the Irish feature documentary, Katie. Ireland's heroine and women's sporting icon. Oh, that's a cracking right hand she has there. Wow. You're talking about the best female boxer that ever lived. Katie Taylor is the champion of the You know, what's gone on with her life, that's something really I've talked about. There wasn't a day where I didn't wake up thinking about the Olympics. Women's boxing at the time wasn't even allowed in the country. I had to pretend to be a boy to get fights. That's a clip taken from the documentary Katie about Irish boxer and world champion Katie Taylor, directed by Ross Whisker, who recently brought us the brilliant documentary on Anthony Foley, who unfortunately passed away quite too early. He was the coach there for monster rugby but ross has been making documentaries really for i'd say the last 10 years or so and uh, has a great reputation hopefully this documentary will get a bit more international recognition because dave Coyne, you absolutely loved it i did it's that simple it wouldn't be a film that i would uh, seek out um documentaries to my much to my chagrin often don't uh, attract my attention because I am more of a fiction lover but when I see a documentary invariably I enjoy it but this one is on obviously it's on boxing and the personality as we all know is Katie Taylor so but I'm not a boxing fan I wouldn't really like boxing He's as a, a lover, not a fighter. I'm a lover, not a fighter. <laughs> and, uh, you know, boxing is not in something that interests me. I wouldn't even, I wouldn't go, to, I've never been to a boxing match. Um, You've been in Air Square a few times. Sure. I have, but <laughs> I usually be six sheets of the wind with a bag of chips in my hand. And the limit of my boxing knowledge is, um, you know, Sylvester Stallone. That's it. And I went into this thinking, okay, I'll go in and see what this is about. You know, I think, I think she won a gold medal or something and she's a bit shy and she's great. That's what I thought going in. And I don't particularly want to go and see a boxing match after watching this documentary. But I will certainly keep my eyes on Katie Taylor and her career and what she does in the rest of her life. Because the personality of that woman is fabulous. She is not a performer. She is a sportswoman. And it comes across in this movie. There isn't one moment in this film where you're thinking, oh, she's putting this on or she's acting or she's emoting she is she her demons are real we all have our demons the trials and tribulations of her life are fascinating her outlet is boxing which as it turns out is a very healthy outlet and the documentary is so well structured and shot obviously on a budget no offense to budgets but we all have them and for me there was emotion in this that i didn't realize and 
if Katie Taylor was, for example, making an appearance somewhere to open a supermarket in 20 years time, mm. I would just based on watching this film, I would like to go and meet her and shake her hand. That's how good the movie is. Wow. It's one of those good documentaries as well, I suppose, where you get to actually really get an understanding of protagonists. Oh, yeah. I mean, the story, I didn't know, as we all know, we can, oh, she won a medal and she's great and she was on the late late and, you know, she's, she's, uh, she's my, you know, she's a pretty lady and she's got, you know, she's got the sponsorship of sports people and she looks good in her boxing gear and what have you. She's not on Twitter with Kardashians and fake tan and fake boobs and nonsense. She's a sportswoman and what she has done in her life, I was unaware of. She won the gold Olympic. She was instrumental in bringing ladies boxing into the Olympics in the first place. And then she won the gold medal. Full stop. That's an impressive thing to do. And her father was instrumental in her. He was her trainer. And um, and she's very, very close knit family and she's very religious and she draws her strength from that, etc. And she's shy and she's quite she doesn't like the limelight. She doesn't want Twitter and, you know, all the rest of the trappings of fame. She just wants to box and make her living. And she wants to make a few quid like we all do to pay the bills. And then her father uh, in the documentary, it's very small blip in the documentary. You almost blink and you miss it because I think that's how it felt in her life. Her father, quote unquote, shacks up with another lady and kind of damages the family and such a close knit family. And it damages Katie's psyche and her ability. And this happened about six months before she defended her Olympic title in 2016. And she, her, her championship title fell apart. She didn't make it to I think, the quarters and she wasn't herself and she was in shock. There was no anger or screaming or giving out. It was just internal breakage. She was like in shock. Her father was gone. Her coach was gone. Her mentality was damaged. And the way she came back from that, she left the country, went to America, found a new trainer all on her own. There's a great scene in the movie where she's away from home and she doesn't cook. Classic, you know, sports person. Just this is what I do. Mm. She didn't even know how to cook her a bit of chicken for herself. And she was laughing in a little candid moment. And she was like, do I put salt in this now? And you're just laughing like this world-class superstar. She can't even cook a dinner for herself. But she's doing her best. And she found her way and she decided to go pro. And she hooked up with the proper promoters. And she worked hard. And now she is, she has unified. She's the first ever female boxing world champion professional boxer. And what she did to achieve that... And the goals that she set out for herself and she overcome is mind boggling. And she still comes home to Bray, visit her mammy, have dinner with her sisters and her girls and her friends. And there's no men in her life. There's no fashion lines. There's no music tie ins. She's just a boxer. And I got to respect that. Class. I don't know. Did you see the notorious <coughs> the documentary about Conor McGregor that came out around this time last year? And obviously another Irish sports person, but very, very different personality, it would seem. Absolutely. I mean, Katie Taylor will never launch a whiskey with an E or without an E. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. that's not she's not in it for the nonsense. Yeah. Um, no offense to, to Mr. McGregor. I'm sure if he ever met me or I ever came as Raider, he'd probably box me to death. But um Katie Taylor will not ever be blasphemed or throw something at a bus or be in court because she is a lady. She is a class act. She comes across in this as a just kind heart. Now, a lot of people who would be anti-religion, that's their prerogative. And my own personal religious views are my own personal religious views. Whether I have them or not is nobody's business. But Katie's religion is strong with her. And there's a scene in the film where before the little ritual that she performs with her family and her mother which is a 
security blanket for the psyche, maybe religion. She, you know, they have their hands out and they're giving her their power. And it's kind of evangelical healing power of Christ and God will protect you and God will make you strong. And she's believes it. And when she goes in the ring, somebody's right there with her. Mm. And um, I personally like the fact that she doesn't make any bones about that. She doesn't have to be on Twitter and Facebook and she does her media stuff that she has to do through obligations and she works hard. And there are boxers, you know, old school boxing men who are 60 and 70 who now kind of go, wow, that girl's got some skills and she's fast and she's got power and she's got she's an athlete. And, you know, for me, before this movie, there was Rocky. After this movie, there's Rocky and Katie. Excellent. Wow. Out of five? Five. Oh, right. That's the Good highest Lord. so far from Dave. There you go. That is Katie, which will be out on DVD this Christmas. Do go and uh, show your support for a great Irish athlete who we should be very proud of, who has done phenomenally well for the country on the international stage. Next up, let's take a look at the movie The Grinch. The present. This is our enemy. You will want to unwrap it and play with it. But you must not! If you can get past the present, the only obstacle left is... The cookie. Look at it in all its red, sugary splendor. No, no, no! Look at yourselves! Discipline! We must... Resist. Can't afford marketing personnel for your business? Don't worry, just head over to gkmedia.ie where you could have your very own professional marketing team for less than 100 euro per week. Check out our marketing solutions packages by visiting gkmedia.ie. That's a clip taken from the family Christmas movie The Grinch, which is out in cinemas. It's out in more than one cinema. It's out in cinemas. <laughs> At the moment, and uh, of course, some of you might be familiar with the 1960s cartoon. Others, more so like my own vintage, be familiar with The Grinch from Ron Howard's 2000 movie, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. But yeah, Benedict Cumberbatch for a new generation. Mm. But yeah, he does the the voice because it's animation of uh, The Grinch. And yeah, again, it's one of those things getting mixed reviews at the moment. I liked it. It's a cute movie. I liked it. Yeah, well done. Fair play to everyone. <laughs> I think I think they're th- it's it's made by the same people who made uh, Despicable Me and the Minions. Yeah, yes. illumination. And I think like uh, the first thing that struck something. me was I think they're trying to generate uh, probably rightly so generate a franchise out of this because oh, it's yeah. not it's not the Grinch did this it's the Grinch mm-hmm. as in the Grinch there will two, be the, more. the Grinch two and the Grinch yeah. seventy five and what have you but I think the two thousand uh, movie with um, the live action version was wonderful and, mm-hmm. and it's timeless because it's the world of Dr. Zeus but this film is more suited to it because it's animation you can do more fantastical things with animation yeah. you know it's really cute I think it's the animation is beautiful like it's mm. it's so Christmassy yes oh it's so good and I love Christmas so yes. there we go Absolutely. And he's not mean to his dog. Usually the Grinch is mean to his dog. Yeah, he loves his dog. And yeah. he has a moose as well, I believe. Okay. <laughs> that, that, that kind of tags along. So what's it about, Lisa? Basically, the Grinch lives up in a mountain uh, that's near Whoville. And Whoville people love Christmas, which is great. I'd like to move there. And um, he isn't happy with it at all. He doesn't like all the happiness that goes with it. And he's quite jealous. 
and he decides to steal Christmas and he invents a machine and a plan and he has like a great invention and he goes and he steals the whole Christmas and it's really well done. It's, it's quite impressive. I'm really impressed with the animation. It's really good. And we realise that the Grinch is actually a backstory from his childhood, of course. And uh, that's why when a child hugs him, that uh, his heart grows three sizes. Aww. Yeah, and it's all pretty sweet. Mm. And uh, and then he gives back Christmas and it's all beautiful. As Lisa said, that the animation is sublime. The visual, the layering, the colours, mm-hmm. the reflections. The I mean, it's like Roadrunner on steroids in terms mm-hmm. of the madcap action, but it's rich and very Christmassy. The yeah. colours and the wonderfulness. But for me, I thought the instant thing was... When I first saw the trailer, it was like Illumination is the name of the production company that made the minions. And I just thought they're trying to make toys. This is the business. But it makes sense because, as you said, Lisa, it's Christmassy. Mm -hmm. It's a big green fluffy monster whose heart grows three sizes when you hug him. It just plays into so many kids' imaginations and it ends on a happy note. So it's, you know, it's, it's a fun Christmas kids movie. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's the ninth feature film from Illumination Entertainment in California. Uh, is this a movie, though, that we're going to be talking about, do you think, in 10 years' time, you know, or that a child of today will look back and say, oh, that was my Back to the Future? No, mm. I don't think it's going to be anyone's ever Back to the Future, but it is still going to be like a Christmas movie that you will watch, you know, and it's Illumination as well, which, like, they're very enjoyable films, mm. all of them, just people one, two and three. I mean, exactly that. If you think of, if you said to somebody, if you said to a kid, you know, uh, what's a minion? They know what a minion is, but mm-hmm. if you ask them what's the first movie a minion ever appeared in? They wouldn't have a clue because it was called Despicable Me and it was a vehicle for Steve Carell, but the minions just took over and it was all Misa, wada, 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 nonsense. Mm-hmm. And they're so cute and funny and easy to draw and they're <laughs> yellow like the Simpsons and people can make tires on the side of the road for That's the gym nice. matches out of them. <laughs> and they're very easy to relate to and you can make toys and key rings and, you know, I've had a few Kinder Eggs where minions were inside and I was like, oh, cool, a minion. Cool. So the Grinch, for me, in my opinion, doesn't have the same impact uh, as a minion does in terms of new cultural phenomena because the, the Grinch has been around for 40 years seventy since the 70s mm-hmm. since, since Dr. Zeus created the 60s. The 60s yeah 60s and mm-hmm. even the in America the Grinch is a huge thing and you know it's all about feel a bit Grinchy when I hear about Black Friday and the crazy commercialization of Christmas nowadays mm. But then Christmas comes and you go, all right, I'll do a bit of shopping and all right, sure, we'll have a pint and all right, you know, I will have a mince pie. And you warm to it at the end. <laughs> but in the lead up to Christmas, I'm feeling very Grinchy. Yeah. Well, what makes me Grinchy around Christmas is when people are like, oh, I've nearly all my shopping done. How are you getting on? Like, yeah, I haven't started. And I don't know what to get anyways. <laughs> no, the one for me is, you know, we have, we need to get new tiles or carpets or the roof is falling but we have to have it done by Christmas. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, like, yeah. why? Yeah. What will happen if it's not done by Christmas? <laughs> Anyways, that is The Grinch. Possibly more to come. And uh, I'm sure there'll be plenty of merchandise sold over the Christmas period as well, promoting the movie. While we're on the whole Christmas thing, favourite Christmas movie? Favourite Christmas movie? Santa Claus the movie. Starring Dudley Moore and Burgess Meredith, I think. And... Yeah. Uh, can't actually remember the name of the guy who played Santa Claus. Nobody ever can. <laughs> but he is in John Blazing Saddles. John Lithgow with the bad John Lithgow with the bad guy with the, with John the, with the, with the, um, the candy that makes you float. Yes. Yeah, that he yeah, floats off fast. in the distance, yeah. So good. First movie cinema. I ever saw in the oh cinema. Right. Well, I was crying probably at the same time. Well, the, I fell asleep actually. Movie. I cried because, I should explain, I cried because it's when Dudley Moore was kind of blackened from yes. Blackland. Or yes. From what? He was banished from Lapland for being was bold. He? Yeah, he yeah. was sent away. And then when he 
when he went oh, to the human world. Oh, you mean in the movie? In the movie. Yeah. I thought you meant really, you mean no. Patch. <laughs> Sorry, but Patch. I go by his real name yes. is Patch. Patch, yes, <laughs> yes. What about you? What's your favourite Christmas movie? My favourite Christmas movie is hotly debated Christmas movie, even though... Oh, Die Hard! Of course yes, it's Die Hard. Yes, Die Hard. It's it my takes, other favourite Christmas movie. It takes place at Christmas. Yes. It's got a Christmas theme song. There's a, there's a whole ho 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 thing. Yeah, ho ho ho. Now I have a machine gun. Is my that's my Christmas jumper. Oh, lovely. I actually own it. I actually have a T-shirt of it and a jumper of it. Class. And anybody who says it's not a Christmas movie is a Grinch themselves. Yes. Well, Bruce Willis said it's not a Christmas movie at the roast. But what defines yeah. a Christmas movie? A movie that's set at Christmas time, or a movie with you know gumdrops and Santa Claus in it? I mean, mm-hmm. if a movie is set at Christmas time. Ergo, it is a Christmas movie. It's a Christmas movie. movie. Yeah. But it needs to be set around the idea of Christmas. Well, but it's, it a, it's a Christmas, it's a Christmas party, party that, that goes is, awry. It's a Christmas party. <laughs> there is a Christmas tree. There is Christmas tape. Somebody says, ho, ho, ho. Now I have a machine gun. That's all the Christmas I need. It's class. What about you? You didn't answer the question. Yeah. I don't know. What was the one I've watched the most? The two movies I've watched the most because I do like Wonderful Life. I know what you're going to say. I was just, it's either Willy Wonka or. Oh, Willy Wonka is my other yeah, one. Yeah. What? Go on, what do you think what of the other one? Willy Wonka or It's a Wonderful Life. No, it's a lot sadder than that. Oh, God. <laughs> Schindler's List. No, <laughs> National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Oh, <laughs> good call. Good and love, call. actually. Good Very call. Good. And love, actually. Oh, my God. Well, Here's the thing. Every, everyone is nodding in disappointment right here. It's a studio, wonderful life. Including our engineer. It's Keith a wonderful Ed. life has very little to do with Christmas. Um, the only Christmasiness is it is in it is at the end when uh, Zuzu says, Every Look, time Daddy, a bell, bell rings, rings, an angel gets its wings. And then the big man winks at her, looks up to the sky with a tear in his eye and says, Attaboy, Clarence. <laughs> And that's the only Christmas scene is because they're standing beside a Christmas tree. There is no reference to Christmas in the whole movie apart from the fact they're standing beside a Christmas tree at the end of the movie. But I think there was snow in one scene, wasn't there? Snow doesn't necessarily... <laughs> we had snow in March <laughs> last year. I think you'll remember. Christmas movies, they kind of... There's, there's a variety of them out there, so it's whatever Indeed. folks are about it. And there's loads and loads of bad ones as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Because there's like a Christmas TV channel at the moment. Oh, it's brutal. Oh, oh God. So well, hopefully someone who'll be making millions of dollars is Irish producer. Rebecca Flanagan, who has worked on a number of brilliant Irish movies down through the years, and she has recently produced Finding Joy, uh, which was written and stars Amy Hoopman, who we spoke to on last week's podcast. So here is Rebecca Flanagan talking to me at the Fesh Summit, which was on in Galway a couple of weeks ago about the Irish film industry. And I must actually, just before uh, we go to that interview, I just want to say well done to everyone involved in the Fesh Summit. Because I've been at lots of these full day seminars and talks and you'd be banging your head off the chair yeah. at the end of it because you'd be so bored and the talks and the content aren't great. This was probably one of the best ones I've ever been at. The people they brought in had something to say. Yeah. It was organized properly. Really, really interesting discussion on the day. And uh, so well done. Thanks to Alan Duggan from the Film Centre for giving me access to do these interviews. And to Frank Keaveney of Screen Skills Ireland, who has recently appointed the Screens Development Executive, and also to marketing and PR agent Tracy Ferguson for just setting me up uh, with doing interviews that day. So here is Rebecca Flanagan speaking to me at the Fetch Summit in Galway. Delighted to be joined by producer Rebecca Flanagan from Treasure Entertainment. Rebecca, if my memory serves me right, it's going back nearly over 10 years ago when you were involved as a producer in your first feature film, Shrooms. God, I'd say, could it be even 
longer than that, but we'll say 10 years. I was only very on the periphery of shrooms. I left the film board the year that was being produced, and that was being produced by Paddy MacDonald and Rob Walpole, and I had just started working with them around then, and I was developing my first TV series, which was one called The Running Mate that we did for TG Cahar. So yes, I was in and around shrooms, but I think it was probably a little bit of a push to say I produced it. I think I was associate producer. What's the joke about associate producers? They say it's what you give your secretary instead of a raise. <laughs> That's terrible. I don't mean that. There's many wonderful associate producers we've, we've worked with. But yeah, it's not a film that I feel like I had a leading hand in. I think the next film after that was one called The Eclipse, which was one that Connor McPherson wrote and directed. And I think in terms of my film producing TV, I had done some TV before that. But in terms of my film producing TV, The Eclipse is one that I would feel like it was the first one that I was proper across through the whole process. But it has taken on some great momentum in the last 10 years from I presume typically starting off doing a short film then being an associate producer on a feature then moving into a TV uh, doing the running mate for TG Car and then a number uh, of feature films since. Yeah, we've had a, a great run of it, really. You know, we just here, we're just recently back from Toronto where we did, uh, we premiered John Butler's latest film, Papi Chulo. That's the third film that we've produced with him. That was one we shot in LA earlier this year, and that was a great adventure. And we also had The Fla this year. We had Metal Heart, which is Hugh O'Connor, the actor Hugh O'Connor, his directorial debut. Um, we're here now at the television conference. That's, we have Finding Joy that we've done with Amy Huberman. Quite an interesting thing. We did a TV series sketch show called Your Bad Self and it was the first thing that John Butler had directed with us. He had done some short films but in that sketch there was Hugh O'Connor, there was Amy, there was Peter MacDonald who his kind of directorial debut, his first feature script we hope to be producing early next year. Jason O'Mara who's a great friend and that we hope to work with again soon. Donald Cleason. There was all those people in that sketch show and I think maybe it was a product of we did it on set down in court of all being away and so you're talking about different ideas and all of that so we've worked with a lot of those people since that show they're just talking inside now at the moment about really if you want to get your f first pilot broadcast on television the film board of course does provide development funding for features and feature docs not as much you can get development funding for putting a, a tv series together uh, so they're saying you have to do a little pilot or, or make something that's 10 minutes long so the commissioning measure can get an idea as to what it is you're trying to make and put on their TV station. You do have a track record. Amy Huberman, who's the writer's show, has a track record. But did you still have to do some sort of pilot or sketch so they'd have an idea what you're bringing to the table? Yeah, we had quite a detailed document of what we wanted the series to be and we had writing samples from Amy of something that was in a very similar style. Now at that stage we were just looking for money to develop that idea but yeah, I think there is a, it's an interesting thing with TV is that I think that there is there needs to be some kind of investment front end where and it's speculative investment. Now of course there is also for features because while the board provide development money you have to present them with something and generally we will find the more well thought through and the more work that has gone on to that the more likelihood you're going to have of actually uh, getting that development uh, support and finance but I do think it's thing with TV that people want proof of cons they call it you know there's a lot of times the broadcasters are going to be investing quite heavily with film you have somebody like the film board but they might only end up being one of many kind of uh, finance partners as they move forward so we did have to do some work in that way but as you say 
I think they understood already Amy's voice and humour. So I think that was something they had come forward themselves about wanting to invest in that. As an independent producer, of course, having a track record, more doors are accessible and are open to you. But do you think in, in the general scheme of things that it's easier now for people to get their foot in the door to when you started off, we'll say 12 years ago? Or is it actually getting more difficult? For me, I find a difficult question to answer because, of course, you're only really coming at it from your own point of view. So it's hard for me to go if I was 15 years ago and without experience. I think what has been the kind of interesting revolution that has happened in that time is that the actual means of production are so much more accessible. So it does mean that in terms of shooting something and editing something and putting together some kind of a show that can be really good quality and that can have high production values that's something that's much more democratic and it is something that people have access to and the truth remains that content in whatever form it may be is still still a massive market but of course the fact that you know we do have a long track record now uh, we have a number of established relationships with filmmakers with writers with the directors and I guess once one of the big things is people want to have confidence that not only that you can pitch well, but that you can deliver. So I think that's really the advantage is that if you can get, I mean, I don't know if it's any easier getting people to say yes, if there isn't a core of an idea there that they really want to explore and develop. But I think probably the next step is easier that if you do have that product and people are going, yeah, we think it's great and we think there's an audience for it. I think the next step that they don't have to interrogate to the same extent is, and will you be able to deliver on that? So it does take time and it does take hard work to really get your foot in the door and have an established relationship with the broadcaster or financer. Yeah, maybe maybe not to get your foot in the door, but develop that trust. And I think that's the same probably in any business that there is, you know, once you go through the process a couple of different times and people feel that they can maybe take their hands off to an extent in terms of letting you do your job and they have confidence that you can deliver. I think, of course, that takes time and that does take a track record. From my own personal experience, it takes a lot longer to you know, get a feature film done from the time of early development, uh, getting it up on the silver screen. There's a bit more of a faster turnaround when you're dealing with television, because once they announce their certain schedule, their autumn schedule, for example, you know that you have a short window to get everything done and dusted. Do you prefer that style of filmmaking? It's so different. You're absolutely right. And and it's, it never ceases to amaze me, really, with uh, television. You know, we did the online for episode six of Finding Joy the end of last week. And your light goes out in a week's time now. So it, there was something very gratifying about having the response, as you say, for films, you know, and people in your life are going, what happened to that film that you made? And you're like, yes, it is coming. It's probably going to be, you know, something like Papicino, even that we did sell out of Toronto. And people are like, great. So when will we see it? It's like, you know, in a year's time. So you do have that kind of gone through the full gamut of emotions yourself from being at the premiere and seeing it in various places and having the audience reaction that's selling it. And then there's this kind of slump as you have to wait, whereas television, it's so immediate. I love that. I love the fact television, there is an audience there. You know, you, we've all had the experience of films where they just don't end up getting the kind of release or audience that you might have hoped that they would. So, you know, that can be a soul-destroying experience. The only thing that's interesting about that is, uh, with the television side of things, is I would advocate or recommend that perhaps the whole process is finished before it does go out because what you don't want is to start second-guessing the material while you're still in the process of doing it. And the response to finding joy from the audience has been terrific and it's really good. But, you know, you can't help but then have another voice in your head that you have to be very disciplined about just keeping at arm's length because, of course you know, 
maintaining the integrity of the project is so critical in anything that you do that it's really important not just to have any outside voices. So that's the only downside, I would say. That was probably our fault because we fell behind in the delivery, but it is really thrilling to get that kind of immediate response. Great point that you made there. Has there ever been a situation where you've gone to a broadcaster, you haven't been able to get finance for it, and you've just kind of kicked the bucket and said, you know what, I'm going to go to the likes of Netflix, or I'm going to try and create this series myself and put it up on YouTube? Not the latter, in terms of saying, you know, we're going to try to do it ourselves and do it as some kind of web series. I think for us, our time, and, and I know there's an element of this that is a luxury, but our time and in terms of things that we focus on, you know, we're pushed always for time and the number of projects that we can do. So it tends to be kind of self-selecting in terms of we will do the ones that are there and financed and we have support for it. I wouldn't advocate against it, but it simply isn't something that we've kind of would have the time to do. The thing in terms of going to somewhere like Netflix, which is, you know, and, and for many people now, that's the kind of North Star of trying to get something. And we would meet Netflix and there's a lot of really great, smart commissioning people there. My view on that, and we've sold stuff to Netflix, but we've never made anything for Netflix, is I think what we were talking about before in terms of television, you need to perhaps do some speculative investment in that. I think if you're doing something like Netflix, you have to multiply that by 50 because I think they are really, the companies that are there and are pitching are successful can put 50,000, 100,000 into the development of an idea that they really want to kind of push and they can package it and they can cast it and they can have all of those different elements together. Now, I'm not saying that's the only way that Netflix do it. They've done stuff, you know, I'm sure, which is just off idea, but that is something that we would think, okay, we're not quite in the category of being able to do that is I think it's if you have a talent that they really want to work with and you can bring that to them. So, you know, there's stuff that we've had turned down by commissioners any number of times, as any producer will. I haven't found it so far that we've been able to go, oh, great, these people don't want it. And then we've sold it to Netflix. You know, I think that that's something that's going to need a lot more investment. Because maybe looking back two years later, you might say to yourself, you know, they might have made the right decision there. I think that's always... I've been on the other side of the desk because I spent some time in development for the Irish Film Board. And, and the fact of the matter is, of course, it's never nice being turned down for something. And, and we can all rail against that. But, you know, you might not know that there's three other projects that are being done in and around the same area. It also films and TV, whatever it is, it takes a long time to actually just make it from when you start off. And it might be something that, you know, when you look at two years time, it probably would have been hitting the screens. Maybe it's lost its relevance. Maybe it's kind of just missed the point of where it is. So, and you know, and sometimes things you think are great, other people don't. So I think there's a certain element that you have to be philosophical about those things as well. And I think the most important thing to do is when you get a no, rather than be defensive, I think is go, okay, well, let's really analyze this now and go, what is not on the page, maybe that we thought was on the page, or what are the flaws in this idea? And let's try to rethink that. Because there usually is something at the crux of it, and you don't you know, want to spend 10 years really flogging something. I think part of producing is also partly selection, and that's about you know, knowing when to let things go as well. Rebecca Flanagan, thank you very much. You're very welcome, Gary. Thank you. Can't afford marketing personnel for your business? Don't worry, just head over to gkmedia.ie where you could have your very own professional marketing team for less than €100 Euro per week. Check out our marketing solutions packages by visiting gkmedia.ie. Irish producer Rebecca Flanagan speaking to me there at the Fesh Summit in Galway and certainly I'm looking forward to attending it again next year. 
that's pretty much it for episode two of series two of Just Like in the Movies. Thank you very much, Lisa. You're welcome. Thank you very much, Dave. <laughs> Pleasure. Thank you very much, Kifa. Thanks, Kifa. Yeah, Kifa's there in, in the corner. She's engineering the show and uh, she'll also be editing the show as well. So if I do sound like a, a Muppet or a donkey, uh, that's Kifa's fault for not taking that <laughs> part out. <laughs> Uh, and, and thank you for listening to Just Like in the Movies brought to you by GKmedia.e. It's pretty much a voluntary thing that we're doing, but we just mm-hmm. love talking about movies and hopefully you enjoy our discussions. And it's also about promoting the West of Ireland as well because there's stuff that happens here as well. It's not just all on the east coast of the island. Uh, and don't forget, if you do want to get in touch with us and you want to be really nice to us, you can email movies at gkmedia.ie and uh, you can check out the website as well, see other activities that we are undertaking. <laughs>